Please make it home safe. 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 Yeah. 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 Welcome to Uncultured Bias. My name is Kamara Williams. I'm your host. On our show, we say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is just another way to stay discovered. We are uncultured, we are biased, and we are black. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in this week's podcast. If you are tuning in for the first time, please continue to subscribe, both on Apple and Spotify. If you're on Apple, go ahead and please leave a comment, a five-star review if you're so inclined, and continue to share. We always say in the show, sharing is caring, uh, particularly when we ask you guys to go ahead and text your friends, and just let them know this is a dope podcast or it's a particular section that you like and, you know, so forth and so on. So you know, the more you share, the more we can produce more content and you guys can leave more commentary. Also visit the website, KamaraWilliams.com, where we have not only an active blog, uh, but also it's a great way for those who are in the podcast, who like the podcast to engage with our show and say, hey, we'd like to see this type of topic. So, all right, get it, got it, good. Yeah, so listen, I know last week we did a topic surrounding uh, just the verdict of Derek Chauvin, and it's weird because I don't like to have topical things um, surrounding black death, but this is kind of where we're at. And it's weird that society does a weird job of just reminding us of our situation. Even when we got the reprieve from the harsh reality of our circumstance, uh, it never failed to push the inevitable cold water of the current situation into our face. And, you know, last week was a perfect embodiment of that, like that reality, where we were celebrating the relief of one police officer being convicted of murdering, um, surrounding the state-sanctioned murder of black death. And yet, again, we were thrust into another national dialogue surrounding the death of a little girl. Uh, we weren't even less than six hours from the case and when that debate began. It then morphed into some a myriad of different conversations, one of them being the legitimacy of tagging the social, um, social media nomenclature of Black Lives Matter or BLM, BLM or, onto this death, or seemingly, you know, was it justifiable? Um, a lot of these things were flipped on the middle. And these arguments were just raging across Beyonce's internet, and it was just fascinating, and it just had a, a um, it took on a life of its own. In my personal opinion, uh, this again is my personal stance, um, we've been conditioned to replace that our, replace our empathy with apathy towards black death. And honestly, it's not healthy. Um, the rationalization of death in the place of our society is so normalized that it becomes an unhealthy thing that when we can see something and we can rationalize and say, okay, that's not, that's not justifiable. Okay, this is justifiable. And for me, it's, it's, the human construct is not designed to take on all this trauma without loving a bit of our humanity. Whether it's that's dehumanizing of a particular race or simply being so de desensitized by this death that we can easily dismiss it as a justifiable thing. To be clear, something being justified is not the basis for normality in my, in my life. Uh, because laws change over time, but morality is steadfast. So we'll discuss a lot of these things when we get into this podcast. And I'm going to include, I'm going to get, uh, I'm actually a special podcast of, Three other brothers on here, different backgrounds, varying backgrounds. Uh, we're going to talk about a number of different things from modern day policing uh, to news surrounding uh, the recent uh, shooting death in North Carolina. We'll even get into topics such as defund the police. Um, before we get into that, I want to make sure to give a shout out to the sponsors of uh, Safe, uh, excuse me, Keystone Global. 
they are a real estate company and they specialize in both commercial and real estate. You can find them at uh, 407-680-8510 at Keystone, KeystoneGlobalRealEstate.com. Also, you can cut, you can also catch them at the uh, on the internet at uh, not only at Keystone at KeystoneGlobal.com. Also, mycompasstax.com, you can reach them at 850-273-7193. Although they're based out of Tallahassee, uh, they can handle everything from here to personal taxes to business taxes. So uh, they're my personal tax attorney. Uh, Tell them that it's got sent by in Culture Bias podcast, and they'll give you a special discount. Lastly, but not least, uh, my law firm, Smith & Williams Traw Group, you can reach us at 888-SWTG-LAW or cwilliams at swtglaw.com. Again, references podcast for a specialized discount. We specialize in probate and um, estate planning. All right, great. Got all that house cleaning out the way. As I mentioned, we're going to bring in some, a special podcast. And joining me in this podcast are three brothers. Uh, one of them, uh, his name is Jonathan Blocker. He's a civil rights attorney. Um, he has some roots in Central Florida, but he's currently in Alabama, on his way to Alabama as, as we speak. Uh, so he's going to uh, bless us with his time. Um, we have civil litigation attorney Isaiah Floyd, and we have FTAC training um, specialist, uh, that's his company, Christopher Lusant. Gentlemen, are you still here with me? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah. Isaiah, John. I'm here. All right. So I'm here. All right. So I'm going to say, thank, first of all, thank you all for, for joining me on this pod. I, I really hate that we have to have a pod surrounding this, like as far as just this topic, but I want to get into right into the, um, the subject last week and we'll get, we'll talk about um, topical things about what's going on currently. But uh, when you guys heard of that 16 year old's um, death, what were your immediate thoughts? I'll start with you, Isaiah. Well, I I was in, I, I was informed by the way of a video at four, 4 a.m. in the morning. Uh, and so I watched the video and I uh, probably watched it about 10 times. Yeah. Um, and then I like read the message underneath the video. Uh, the girl was 15 or 16 years old. And so uh, my first reaction was, what just happened? Because everything happened so quickly. Yeah. And then my second reaction was, this is a tragedy because yeah. A 15, 16-year-old girl just lost her life. And it didn't seem like any adult there had the wherewithal just to say or, or de-escalate the situation. So, Yeah. What about you, Chris? Um, definitely it was uh, heartbreaking, you know, to hear about that than to see the video. Um, I agree. That, that was my first um, comment. That um, when I saw the video that, you know, all those adults, um, they failed to do their their job uh, as far as being an adult and taking control of that situation and ensuring the safety of all involved. Um, So, again, you know, uh, a young young child, young black child at that lost her life. um, So it was very heartbreaking, you know, but then for me, I look at things, you know, totality of the situation. There's there's no winners involved. Yeah. You know, John. Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. And I apologize. I appreciate it. I apologize if you hear a, a newborn in the background, but um, 
my immediate reaction was exhaustion. At this point, I'm I'm tired of a, it's like a low level thrum anxiety in me where if I turn on Facebook, the news, will I see another black or brown face um, killed or listed as mortally wounded uh, in a police encounter? And so when I saw that, I just, a little part of me just shut down even some more. And um, I think for about three or four years now, I no longer watch the videos. if they've been posted. I just, I'll read the article to kind of get the synopsis of what action happened, but I don't want to see it. Uh, I, one, I'm exhausted, but two, I think it's inflicting some type of trauma that I don't I don't quite know how to process just, just yet. So if unless I have to watch it for work and someone's paying me to analyze it, I will not watch these videos anymore. And I was distraught, upset, but then just fatigued that another life was lost. So I want to pivot off that. You, you know, I mentioned this in my opening about trauma. Do you think it does have a debilitating effect of continually watching these videos? Like, you know, do you think it dehumanizes us or the uh, the victim or just any like where, where what is it, the root of you not watching it? So it's a couple things. Uh, one is I don't want to become desensitized to watching a death occur. Yeah. I don't ever want to get to the point where I'm no longer shocked. Uh, two. I don't want to use up my own finite emotional energy on something that I don't have control over. Um, Sometimes I will, but I I have to guard it now because I I need that energy left over for my kids. Mm. And three, I've started, I'm not going to say I'm an expert in this field at all, but looking at epigenetics and the concept that your external uh, interactions or experiences impact your genetic expression. Uh, And I've read some articles that folks who survived the Holocaust, what they passed down in their genes are uh, expressions for um, increased schizophrenia, uh, hypertension, or other adverse health effects. And I already know what my my family line has from slavery and the the crossing across the Atlantic and anything else and some uh, racialized terror in the Deep South. So I don't want to add to it more than is already baked into my DNA. So to protect my peace as well as my offspring, I just don't watch it unless I have to. Mm. I saw you raise your eyebrow, Chris. Like that, that was, um, you know, I guess that was the first time you've heard, heard that statement. Yeah, I, I've, actually, I've kind of heard about it, but, to, you know, um, I agree. I, um, like, I'm in a position where this is part of my job. So as, as a deadly force instructor, this is all that I do. I analyze stuff and, and I, this, and you know, when I'm on the range teaching people, whether it's law enforcement or civilians, this is part of my job as a deadly force instructor. I have to watch these videos because then it's, it's, it's about what tactics could have been applied. Um, was it justified? Was it not justified? Um, any improvements and, and to really educate people on both sides of the spectrum, the totality of the circumstances and why certain decisions were made. Um, so for me, um, you know, at times I do have to take a break, you know, so to, to deal with the trauma, me personally, I go to counseling. I'm big on family time. I'm big on decompressing, um, being out and, you know, just enjoying the beautiful weather. You have to, if not, um, it, it can it can take you down a dark hole. Do you think that if we're not careful with these, we're watching these videos, like because in your job specifically, and then you form, you're former law enforcement, right? Yes, sir. Certified law enforcement in the state of Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you think that if we're not careful with these things, it can have an 
um, have a debilitating effect on our humanity, even how, let's say, law enforcement officers view black or brown people? Definitely. Um, it it, it kind of goes, it could go both way. I believe it depends on that individual. Um, but, you know, we as a people, we know that we don't trust the system. And, you know, watching these videos, unfortunately, is part of what we demanded. We demand, we want transparency, you know. So in order to get that transparency, you have to have the fortitude or, or whatever word you want to choose to, to be able to watch these videos. Because if you can't watch the video, then you're not really, you're not, you're not able to really get all the facts. You know, you have to watch the video to see, you know, if that encounter was, you know, if the actions were justifiable or, or not. So Isaiah, I'm going to bring in this conversation because I want to know when you saw the video, what was your analysis? Just putting your legal hat on. Did you see just, a, just did you think it was justifiable in what happened last week to the young lady? Uh, like I said, I watched it 10 times and uh, I don't know if anybody's seen, but they have a new camera angle out that's across the street. So that gives a, uh, a clearer picture of what occurred. As soon as I saw it, I uh, thought it was justifiable under the law. Yeah. And uh, let, let me be clear. That's when we say justifiable in informed, we're talking about legal terms of justifiable. What's on the books? Right. Like what's the black letter print? I think everybody has their kind of subjective opinion as to morally what's justifiable. But on the books, I, I saw it as a justifiable shooting. And then um, I waited, of course, before I wrote about it on you know social media or whatever like that. And I waited and I waited. And then there came the uh, phone calls from other attorneys wanting to request it. And I think that's the other thing that's kind of exhausting about these videos is when somebody sees it, you're going to get a ton of phone calls from other people who want to discuss it with you. Yeah. uh, And they want to break it down, you know, and that's what becomes like exhausting. And I think that can also desensitize you to it. Cause even if you don't see the video, somebody explaining to you what happened, you become even more desensitized to the killing of black people. So, yeah. It's wild because I get that all the time. Like someone is like, tomorrow, what are your thoughts? Either a text message or an inbox or something, or they tag me on a post. And I'd be like, bro, like it's a lot to pull from this. Well, like it's, it's a lot like y'all want me to like, I, I don't, I know I have a podcast, but I got, I mean, you want me to comment on every little thing. And it's a lot emotionally to have a thorough analysis on something, you know, that is as traumatizing as that situation or any situation. You know, and so I'm. It's funny that not funny, but it's well, it is. A, it's a little bit funny because I never knew you even had that same thing. But I get that all the time. Jonathan, you're 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 laughing. Do you get that as well? Uh, I used to, and then when I stopped responding uh, to those requests, <laughs> I think they I think they they let go and let God. But but I get it. I man, I was just like God. It's like He's speaking to my life right there. I totally get it. Yeah. Chris, you, you're not in affirmation. I I get videos sent to me all the time. I get people that call me because, again, they know that this is what I do. Um, and they know that, I, unfortunately, I've, I've had to use my firearm a few times. So when I speak to them and they, you know, they know that I'm just going to tell them, you know, what it is, yeah. you know. So and so I get calls, I get messages, you know, like this morning I woke up to like four videos sent, 
from different shootings that haven't even made the news yet. Jesus, you know, throughout this country because I traveled, so you know, people know me, so they're they're sending me stuff. Hey, man, I just recorded this. Can you let me know? You know, and it's it's a lot. Yeah, but you know, someone, you know, unfortunately, in my position again, I have to do this because I'm I'm out there educating people, you know, who are going to be armed and who can find themselves in a in a in a in a armed conflict. And I need to prepare them on decision-making and, you know, just things that they could possibly deal with. So I want to ask you, Chris, you can break this down because you and I had an offline conversation about um, procedure procedurally. How would, should one, could someone actually uh, disarm somebody in that situation, in that situation, you know, without killing them? It, it's, Possibly, possibly. But the reality is this. Once a person has a deadly weapon in their hand, they have the intent, they have the ability, the ability and the means to to kill you or cause you great bodily harm. So you have that's that's a personal decision whether you're going to take that risk. But I don't know anyone that's reasonable that's going to say, you know what, I'm going to further jeopardize my life by trying to save this person. And then I get killed. I have a family that I need to go home to, you know, so I'm essentially responding to the actions of that armed subject. And in, and in that case, you know, it was very quick. It was, you know, like I teach people, shootings are very quick and they're very dynamic. Average law enforcement shooting is from 3.5 seconds to seven seconds. You know, you have to make a split second decision dealing with flight or flight system, auditory loss, tunnel vision, you know, your heart beating at 160 to 180 beats per minute while you're in possession of a firearm and you have to make a decision. Yeah. It's, it's, it is not easy. Mm-hmm. So what about those who say... That, you know, and you've heard these these anecdotal statements. Uh, you know, I used to be a counselor. And I had to, I had to take away knives from kids. I didn't have to shoot them, or I had to, you know, disarm a situation, and I didn't have to deal with that. You know, and they didn't have to kill that young lady. They could have figured out another way. What is your thoughts on those anecdotal statements? It it's one of those things. You know, are. I've had some admin people, you know, because I, I, I deal with a lot of educators. Yeah. You have a rapport with these kids. You know these kids, so it's it's different. When I'm responding to a scene, I don't know who you are, and it escalates so quickly. I have, again, I have a decision to make, and it's like, you know, if I do this, this side is not going to be happy. If I do that, this side is not going to be happy. The, the, the goal is to, in that given situation, I have to save the lives that are at risk. Yeah. And, you know, you have to make that decision. And, you know, a lot of people are not cut out for it. What are your thoughts, Isaiah? Um, I think that when people make those those comments, it's 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 so trollish. Mm -hmm. It's it's sitting behind a computer and making those statements when you've never been placed in that situation. Mm -hmm. My father's my father was a principal in Hillsborough County for some years and used to watch because <clears throat> you know, I saw this one comment about, well, people used to fight all the time in school and, and nobody used to get killed. And I was, and I wrote back fight with knives. <laughs> that's wild. But I had a conversation with my father this weekend and he said, yeah, you know, when you were at Sly, cause I went to school with my father, he said, yeah, you know, some parents would drop their children off at the edge of the street corner at the end of the, the school the school border and let their kids fight. And those kids used to have pocket knives on them and things like that. And, you know, the police would arrive and it'd be a split decision for them. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and sometimes they would use a taser. Nobody was ever shot. Right. But, you know, there's there was that was when they didn't have body cams or anything back in that day. So um, it's just it's just wild. I mean, when you see something happen like that and and people's comments are, well, he should have did this. He should have did that without having any of the background, the legal knowledge, the, the, the background in firearms or anything like that. You can't really sit back and say this person should have did this and this person should have did that. You just don't have a factual basis for that. So you're running based on your subjective opinion, which you have little information to base that opinion off of. Correct. I, I, I definitely concur. Can I add to that? Yeah. Also, you know, those individuals who speak of that in order to um, to use a taser, right? Things that you need or to de- de-escalate because people are like, oh, the officer didn't de-escalate. De-escalation requires cooperation from both parties. I can speak to you, but if you're not complying, if you're not trying to hear what I'm saying and you're still on 100, I'm trying to get you down. It's not going to work. Also, I need time and distance. You know, had that situation not be dynamic, which means we had all that movement going on. Right. If she was just armed, standing outside, not threatening anyone, not advancing on anyone, then yes. Like I am on scene. Isaiah is my partner. I have deadly coverage because she does have a deadly weapon in her hand. Then I could say, Isaiah, go ahead and get your taser out. Go ahead and taser. You know, and then if we have another officer on scene, hey, get your taser out, because if his taser fails, you taser. And and we'll just try to keep tasing her until we get her down. But the moment she takes a step forward, advances. She has the intent, the ability and the means to commit deadly. She has the the, the ability to commit um, um, eminent death or great bodily harm. And at that point, then, you know, I then have to respond. One one, one little addition to that is. It's funny because people in, 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 it's just funny because people don't think tasers fail. <laughs> right. They do. And I didn't even bring that up. The percentage rate on failures. They, tasers they fail 42% of the time throughout this country. That's the failure rate of tasers. People think that taser is this magic, like, all right, you could use a taser for everything. No. Um, you know, we just had an officer that was stabbed in the face because they tried to use a taser. And what the guy had for large the kids on knives. Hold on, I'll let you jump in in a second, John. Hold on, continue. You know, um, the officer got stabbed in the face because they tried to, both officers tried to use tasers and it wasn't effective. And the suspect was able to advance on them and stab them. And then they fired. But those officers could have been killed. Johnny, you, you want to, Jonathan, you want to jump in? John? Yeah, I just had, uh, I agree that tasers, um, can fail, but I wanted to ask a question about your 42% failure rate. Is that based on failure of at least one prong not to connect with the body of the target, or is it because there's a failure of a charge to go through the the apparatus and and then shock the person? Like, what it is just, failure? What constitutes it? So it's failure. Is, is that failure is just the taser not effectively doing its job and stopping that that person that the taser was used on? So as far as percentage of whether the prongs made contact. Um, no, I'd have to dig more into that because uh, we we go based off the, the data that Taser International gives us because we report this stuff. So, again, 42 percent. That's, you know, and, and, and most cops aren't going to use their Taser because they know that in a dynamic situation, man, I don't I don't have the ability and I'm not going to take that chance to to use my Taser. And then I went to go deploy my Taser to give this person some extra time. Then they they stabbed me. 
So you know, let me let me offer a little bit of pushback though. So forty two percent that means fifty eight percent of the time it works, right? Now, the cop who was shooting at the you know who shot the young lady a millimeter a millimeter off, and he could have killed that the other person. You know, correct. But so yes and no, and this is why. So. When, you, when you've effectively trained with firearms, right, mm-hmm. where he aimed is center mass in that given dynamic situation. Um, center mass is the largest part of your body. Um, and, in, you know, and he's also, I don't know if you guys know, but he's also a marksman. Um, he, he was prior military. He was a marksman. So he has the, the ability to make effective, effective shots. Um, but um you're right it could have gone bad she could have gotten shot but he still had to take that chance because again if he didn't do that what would the public say they would be mad hey you didn't do anything so it's like it's a catch-22 you know uh again this is me and I, i'm not i'm I, i'm not in that situation i've never been in that situation and i'm i just for me when it comes to the basis of trying to preserve someone's life I would try to look for every method possible. Now, again, that's split second rationale, right? And it's like you you have to make that split second decision. And I get it, I get it. But for me, I again, and I'm not saying it's the right thing, <laughs> but I would have maybe thought went for the taser, I, just for me, because I I would have wanted to see if I could preserve. And I think the conversation would have been like, hey, you know what? If some, God forbid something would have happened, it would have been like. He he tried to go for the non-lethal uh, alternative first. That worked fifty-eight percent of the time, and sure. you know, um, and unfortunately, quote unquote, it didn't, it didn't work this time. I think that would have been something because you would maybe there was a possible if you can save two lives as opposed to saving one. I think you go for two lives. Correct. That's that's in a perfect situation, but in this situation. She would have been, I put, I could bet on it. She would have been killed. Um, she fully extended her right arm to mm-hmm. maximum and she was going in with that. Yeah, she would have been done because then now the family would have been mad that they, their child got killed or th- whoever that person, you know, the, the, their loved ones would have been upset that the officer didn't take the proper actions to protect her. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's, it's very hard. And again, there's no winners in so this situation. I, oh. Go ahead, sir. Go ahead, brother. John, go ahead. Yeah, my apologies, man. Uh, so I guess what I'm I'm concerned about, and this is just responding a little bit to yourself and Isaiah, are you saying that there's no situation in which a civilian can question how an officer responded when the situation results into death of a black or brown child? Because if we're always saying, you don't know my life, you don't know how what it what I what I have to go through to shoot the gun. So I'm just supposed to accept your decision-making as sacrosanct. And so I guess what I need to understand is how do maybe how in law enforcement circles, is there an accountability of actually questioning? Was that necessary? How is there any redress to make sure it doesn't happen again? How do you restore faith in the community when you do F up uh, with your decision-making? And then there's one more question in there, but I'm losing it right now. But I, I just want to make sure we didn't go into this space where we say we can't question because we just ain't an officer. Um, no, you definitely. About that. I want to know how you, you all speak of it from that. You definitely can question the officers. And that's what you're supposed to do. 
um, question them. But at, on the on the flip side, on the other side of the coin is when it comes down to deadly force in in a lot of situations, it's it's we can't save everyone. Ideally, in a perfect world, we would love to, but again, uh, that situation was uh, hold on, it was five point one seconds. How quick can you draw your gun? And this is where now it's like, all right, you're making these um, conclusions in a nice, calm environment when right. that person had to do that in a very stressful yeah. uh, point in their life. And it's and it's you don't want to use your gun. Right. You don't. But now you're put in a position where you have to because now you have a life that's at risk and you have to make that judgment call. But yes, no, um, always question it. Always. But always be willing to um, learn and understand, you know, because a lot of us, again, because of trauma, because of the system, rightfully so, we don't trust it. Right. I agree with that. But a lot of us are not educated and or we're responding only emotionally and not looking at the facts for what they are and then saying, hey, you know, that was reasonable. We don't like it. Of course, we don't want any any one of our people to get killed. But the reality is we have to hold, just like we want to hold law enforcement accountable, we have to hold those individuals who, you know, make mistakes. We have to hold them accountable as well. Isaiah? I think you question everything. True, but wasn't there four shots in this? Hold on, hold on. But was that your final statement or do you want to continue to expand on that? No, I'm just going to continue. (laughs) I think think you question everything. Um, Anytime there's a black or brown child or person that is killed or injured as a result of a police interaction. It's time to question it. Correct. That's why we have investigations. I think we run on emotions when these things happen. And and let me just say on the record, those emotions are uh, valid because we have so much distrust of this system. And and another part is we're not even educated about it. Mm. We're not even educated about the laws here we're not even educated about when can you use deadly force and when you cannot use deadly force and i want to clarify something the question isn't could he could he have used his taser at that moment it's is he allowed to use deadly force when that interaction is going on that's the yes part of it but could he have used his taser sure and and if the taser took the taser took if the taser didn't there's a there's a there's a black there's there's a black woman possibly dead or injured, um, but I've seen some of these 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 conversations pop up and I and I think Mr. Blocker is going to ask the question of uh, well it's four shots you know four shots is excessive and, and sometimes I just say what is your basis that four shots is excessive because I'm from Tampa Florida and I've seen people shoot. And sometimes four shots, I mean, 50 Cent got nine shots. He's still moving. Sometimes four shots does not incapacitate somebody quickly enough to stop them from harming someone else. And so I think that's where the education comes in. And I think the fact that we have a public school system that is not teaching kids about the laws in the United States, not helping kids understand this, is is a lot of the reason why we have a lot of distrust and it's a lot of reason why we run on emotion instead of running on, you know, some of the logical things. So, John, I, wanna, I, I, I just want to get let John. While John's pondering, <laughs> go ahead, Chris. <laughs> so I'm going to add to that. 
um, a lot of people, and that's why I teach because it's very important for our people to be educated on this. And that's why I also teach youth. Um, in the state of Florida, that's one of the, you know, firearms is one of the, the top five reasons why our youth are injured or killed. So I teach them on things that they shouldn't be doing, what they should do, their rights, um, as far as dealing with law enforcement. Um, when the, when my clients come to my classes, I also teach them on, you know, protocol. What are, what are they allowed to do? What are the officers not allowed to do? And then, so that way they go into situations kind of with some knowledge, you know, we review shootings because they have to learn because if they get involved in a shooting themselves, I want them to know, Hey, you know, you're going to be judged accordingly. Statute 776.012. You know, you follow that you're covered, but if you violate that, then you're in some trouble. So, and you, I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to kill kill your vibe. No, go ahead. One of the things I do know though, about weapons that a lot of times these, the four shots thing, just having owning guns myself, is very rapid shots. And those once you hit the trigger, is that pop 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 pop? It's very, it's a quick succession. I'm not saying that's what happened, but I do know that's what tends to happen with guns when you're shooting it, and that's why it's even more. You have to be careful when you're shooting a gun because it's very quick to let off successive um, successive shots with that trigger. What gun do you have? No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna add to that. So depending on whatever gun you have, it requires a certain amount of pounds per pressure to initiate the cycle of operation. So each time you, you depress that trigger, it'll go. But again, in flight or flight, um, like Isaiah just said, the way law enforcement and properly trained civilians, it is you shoot until the threat is no longer active. So that means if I am out with my family, God jumps out at me with a knife, I'm drawing, I'm shooting until either he drops the knife or until he drops. Because based on just life experiences and just data, you can fire one or two rounds thinking, oh, that just, you know, that that's enough. And then the person continues to advance on you. And now you're in a body bag. Yeah. So, again, it's 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 not easy. Use of force is never going to be pretty because at the end of the day, it's some person being violent. And the only way that I'm going to win, unfortunately, is by being more violent and being effectively trained. So that way I survived the encounter. John, I didn't want to mess with your camera. And I, I, I was just messing with you, man. I, I got to please mine to really, it's, it's a lot of force that I got to use to, 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 to fire off the, the Glock 17, which I think he had. So yes. that's what I have as well. So the Glock 17, actually the trigger on the Glock 17 is very light compared to, let's say like different guns, like Berettas and, and Tauruses and skies, which would require like nine or nine to 10 pounds A Glock. I, I believe it just, it's four point, it's 5.5 or 6.5 pounds. So I, there's a couple of things, and I, and I, I won't take up all the oxygen. No, First cool. thing is, cool. um, Isaiah had mentioned that, you know, sometimes you got to do multiple bullets because it doesn't stop a body. Um, and then he used 50 cent. That's like a 250-pound man, and this is a 15-year-old girl. I, I can't imagine four bullets are need to stop a 15-year-old girl, even if she is armed. Um, if it's a matter of evaluating a situation and not using emotion, then I'm expecting an officer or someone who's trained in deadly force not to respond as I, a common citizen, would. I, a common citizen, would respond with four pop, pop, pop shots or until you're bleeding out on the ground. But if you're an officer and you've gone through all this extensive training and you are someone set aside under the auspices of the law, I'm expecting a different outcome or a different process. So I'm not persuaded as a, as a person or as a civil rights attorney uh, that four shots are necessary. 
when you mentioned earlier, Chris, that he was a marksman, that I'm also now expecting here, you aren't just a common officer, you're an officer with an added layer of training with regards to firearms and force. Why do you feel emotionally compelled to respond with four shots? If you're a marksman, could you have not have done it in one shot to stabilize the situation and stop her? At the end of the day, then, from my perspective of a civil rights attorney, you can go home and say, I shot her, I was justified under these laws, which are not uniform across states or jurisdictions or policies, even within agencies. But her family cannot adequately sue or recover any type of compensation um, for what has occurred to them and to her. Um, so I've, I don't feel there is any kind of um, resolution there's someone who feels protected in their sanctity of their life, but there's almost a, a kind of callous, well, maybe callous is not the word, cold, maybe that's mm. it, calculation of why another person's life should just be forfeited like dirt on the ground. Uh, and I, I can't quite get with that. Isaiah, you also mentioned about schools and educating kids on the law. And I guess I go back to these laws aren't uniform. And as lawyers, we all know crap ain't uniform anywhere. Um, and being here in Alabama, family, a gun-happy state, there's a different mindset and culture about when people get to use it and when people don't. It's not the same as Florida. It's a little different. It's a little weird. I don't even know how to describe it in this podcast for y'all. But I just have concerns about us saying that only the moment of the officer's emotional perspective matters, mm. right? This is a young lady who called saying, people are in my space, my yard, my property, where I'm supposed to be safe, fighting or trying to come fight me. And yes, time elapsed. All of a sudden, she's the aggressor. I understand the cop shows up on scene. He doesn't know that she's the caller. I, I totally get that. And I don't think that's a simple situation. But the outcome is her life is gone. We keep seeing a trend of black life being gone. We keep seeing a trend of videos of blacks either being aggressive, being perceived aggressive, being perceived as monstrous in size, being perceived as older than they are and dying within five, two, 11, 10 seconds. And then I see Jimmy or Johnny or Susie running around high on bath salts, butt ass naked, maybe have a knife, maybe have a gun. Maybe they murdered 10 people in the church and now they're eating burgers. And so it keeps looking like we can find a reason within the auspices of the law, which was not created by us, uh, to justify why someone just happens to be dead and why their family will have to fight tooth and nail to maybe get $10 in compensation for what just transpired. But then I have to repeatedly see on the news a white man, a white woman, a white boy, a white girl live their best lives continuously unscathed uh, in comparison and no discussion about the fact of their size, whether or not they appeared aggressive. They might have been aggressive and yet they weren't felled with three or four rapid fire shots by someone with extensive training. And so I, I push back. I push back because I don't think we need to only center the cop's perspective or situation in a tumultuous situation. I'm expecting us to, to at least uh, consider the other people and especially the person who died. And I'm expecting us to also consider, well, what is what, how are we going to rectify when the outcome is negative or is unacceptable? And I'm not hearing that. I'm only hearing at least the officer goes home safe and you know, it is what it is under the law. Isaiah? That's just my two cents. I don't really have a solution for y'all. No, we don't. But you know what? No, here's the thing. We don't. I'm not. I don't think we're gonna have a get a solution on this pod, right? But it's just like this. This is the discussion I wanted to have. So I I appreciate it. The solution is legislation and enforcement. I I, I 
honestly, that's what it is. Um, we talked about education and educating children about uh, the laws. The law of defense of others has been around since since the English landed on, oh, was Spanish landed on Plymouth Rock? I don't know. That, Michael Mack said, I didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed, Rock landed on me. So if that particular law of defense of others has been, been around since England, and it just got carried over to the United States. That's a law we should be teaching children, especially young black children. And let's not say we can't do that because we just, it, it wasn't too long ago when we had the Black Panthers, we had, you know, Hugh P. Newton, Bobby Seale teaching self-defense, teaching these aspects of the law. If you go to Rick Ross' song right now, Tears of Joy, you have Bobby Seale spitting a whole thing about Using to law, using the law to, to create a desired, um, a, a, a desired fact. Yeah. So you know these are things that we got to teach our children. Now, as far as I completely agree, the police have zero accountability. It doesn't look like anybody's going to make any type of legislative changes on this. They need to get rid of qualified immun- immunity. But we have Joe Biden in the office. He doesn't want to get rid of qualified immunity. So that's the problem that we have. I'm not saying that the officer should be on the officer's job, just like attorneys have their job, right? We're based upon what would a, what was the professional standards under those circumstances. And it should be the same for an officer under those circumstances. But they should be able to get, I love what Charlamagne Guy says, they pension should be able to be attacked. Mm-hmm. They should be able to get hit for a, a negligence suit, personal liability for, for their actions. Those things should come. The solution to these problems is legislation and enforcement. And right now, we're getting a little bit of enforcement. There's already laws on the books right now to not kill black people. So right now with the Derek Chauvin case, I think this is that was a great case to, to apply to a number of situations that are pending or that are currently occur- happening right here. So you know. the, my problem with the, that case is... It was so explicit, and it took such an explicit action by the defendant that it warranted a conviction. But, and I said this in my podcast last week, or I think with Natalie Jackson, that when the circumstances are a lot cloudier, do we still get that same level of justice? Because we know it doesn't apply. And that's kind of where, that's where my, you know, my, my issue comes in, because... Yes, the laws are important, but these laws are not being apl- applied with the same equality that they, that are quote unquote designed for, and that's where like we can change the laws, but if the application of those things, the application of justice, is inequitable, then what is the point of a black letter law if it's not being applied in the, in the same equitable fashion? I completely agree. I did the if I, if, uh, the matter of the law. <laughs> We talked over each other. Go ahead, John. Um, go, go ahead, John. No, go ahead. I'll, Isaiah, go ahead. Okay. All right. I completely agree with you. Okay. Oh, well, I think ahead. that the Derek Chauvin case, I'm not saying the verdict right. is the reason, right? We just saw, uh, what was it, Gene? Oh, I forgot his name, but over in Dallas, where uh, officer, Welcome, Gene. Yeah. Welcome, yeah. Was, officer was convicted. What mattered about the Derek Chauvin case was police testifying against police. Yeah. That's the big thing right there. When you have the 
police superintendent or captain come out and say, nope, he didn't follow policies. Nope, he didn't do this. That's what we have to pay attention to. It's unfortunate that we have to pay attention to it because there's going to be other black deaths, black and brown deaths. But that's the key to that case. Yeah. That's all I want to add. Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. Oh, so go ahead, Chris. I, go ahead. I want to add to that. So people are saying get rid of qualified immunity. I'm going to get into Just that. Like, I want to get into okay. that. You know, we, we, I'm, that's the subject. <laughs> I know y'all brought it up. But before I get into that, I want to play a clip. <laughs> I want to play a clip regarding staying on this concept of training. Um, I'm going to play this. Bear with me. Well, I've been on the road for 18 years. People know me. They trust me. I get a depth of information. I ask questions other people won't ask. Cop says, knock down, drag out, fight, cuff them and stuff them. Finally get home at the end of the shift and... Cop says, gunfight, bad guys down. I'm alive. Finally get home at the end of the incident and they all say, the best sex I've had in months. Both partners are very invested in some very intense sex. There's not a whole lot of perks that come with this job. You find one, relax, and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, so that was <laughs> footage from Dave Grossman. He's an ex-Army Ranger, and he's a notorious law enforcement trainer across the country. He proclaims himself to be the top trainer of law enforcement around the country. He's trained thousands and thousands of departments and this is the person that is training law enforcement and that is incredible so chris i know you like you as soon as you heard the drop you knew exactly who that voice was <laughs> correct so i listen there's some some things that he said i don't agree with at all obviously um, <laughs> I, i'm like bro i'm like sir thank you for your service but what you're doing right now is not helping right so what he does is he trains more of the elite units um, like SWAT and guys that are really dealing with like some, the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and his intent um, is to change the mindset or to get them into a warrior mindset. Cause these are, these are not like regular patrol guys responding to our, you know, your, your dog, this, your dog did this or accident calls. These are guys that are going after the worst of the worst. Yeah. So his, his, his training is all focused about intent to changing the mindset um, being a warrior because you have to get prepared because you guys are on the front line. Now, the other stuff that he talks about, like best sex and and, you know, uh, I, I don't agree with that. But there are some things that I've learned from him that that has helped me. And it, it actually helped me survive my violent encounter, my last violent encounter, because if I didn't have that mindset, then I would have been in a body bag. Mm. So um, but all the other stuff that he's talking about no. Go ahead, Isaiah. I have a thought process, but Isaiah, you want to jump? I'm floored by that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, that um, I can't believe he said that. Audio. Uh, look, I mean, this is the same type of stuff that this is the same type of warrior mentality, that mindset that breeds that little issue as to why the uh, little captain in the army or whatever I, I forget his rank and his position, respectfully, but why did he had the whole neighborhood show up and say, come outside. We're not going to jump you. Right. It's that type of mentality that, that I don't think we got to understand these, these police officers, military people are coming back home and they're taking that same warrior mentality and taking it out at Publix or some other supermarket. Mm-hmm. And it's that type of situation as to why they, why that young man just went through that encounter walking through his own neighborhood. 
Um, and so it's got to be a better way to train people, in my opinion. I don't know. I have no factual basis for that. Yeah. And in my subjective opinion, I, it's got to be a be- better way of sending a message to be ready than that. Well, and I just want to say I, I agree this. With that. I just want to say this. I agree and, I, with that. and then, John, if you want to chime in, you can. Um, my problem is the dehumanization of killing something. And when you take something like, oh, yeah, after you just killed, you just dropped the body, it's going to be the best sex you've ever had. It's yeah. like, it's. No, that's not true. That's, it's. I mean, come on, man. Like, like I have, I've had uh, my one of my best friends is a law enforcement officer, and he actually he got he was in a shooting, and he had to go through therapy, and it was like it messed him up, and he was like it's but it's supposed to taking somebody's life is not supposed to not to drive you to the best pleasure you've ever had, right? And so when you do that, you're sending a message. Down the line, I know this was for the elite elite, but you're sending a message down the line that killing or dehumanizing of your body, and for a lot for us, it's the black body. Um, it's okay, and that's where I get, I, I I get a little bit nervous because desensitizing death should never be a thing, you know. Um, go ahead, Chris, and I want to have John chime in. I think you know what I think. A lot of times we do forget that officers deal with death on a regular basis, so. An officer is going to be they're not they're not going to have the same type of um, response or emotional um, you have the emotional response that you you know we all would have because they deal with that on a regular basis. So they do get jaded. They do get cold. Um, and it's just like in the military, you know, in prior military, you know, guys have a kind of twisted humor. Um, they, they deal with the worst of the worst and they try to find a way to, um, you know, make light, make make light of it. Um, sometimes I don't agree with it, but I will say this, uh, I had to go to counseling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was severe for me because I went weeks without eating. I was just drinking water. I didn't want to deal with anyone. So I don't know anyone in their right mind, unless they're a psychopath that they get pleasure from having to take someone's life. Yeah. Um, because as humans, that is something we are all against. You don't want to have to take someone's life. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, you know, um, I'll, I'll say this when you're in a place to where you have to take somebody's life, you hope you hope that they have the, the consciousness of saying that, you know, this is the last resort, not the first thing they want to do. And that's really where, you know, I, I hope it, it comes down to. And, you know, you mentioned that they have to deal with death all the time. I, my only pushback is that doctors have to deal with death all the time too, but yet they're just, they, but we still require them to have the sense of humanity in dealing with their patients and for them to see death all the time, you don't want them to say, well, you know, people die every day, B like, like, <laughs> like you know, we don't want them to, you know, do the paid in full comment. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, but, <laughs> so my rebuttal is this doctors see death in a different manner versus law enforcement, um, law enforcement. They're responding to uh, suicide calls. They're dealing with people who actively may try to kill others, kill themselves kill the officers on scene. Mm -hmm. So there's a level of violence that is required from that officer, a doctor, their job is to save life. That's it nonstop. So I think, um, because, uh, I think the profession, as far as a doctor, there's, there's more, um, what's the right word? Empathy, um, versus law enforcement. They deal with a lot of nonsense. Um, if you can take a, I tell people, take a, take a, um, jump, do a ride, do a ride along, you know, 
go out to sector four in Orange County, do a ride along where they deal with a lot of stuff. Believe me, that one shift will you'll, you'll start looking at things very differently. Yeah. Um, Johnny, you want to chime in or you, you want to move so, on? Um, I, yeah, yeah. Several things. And I don't want to derail where we are now. No, you're cool. Um, I totally get it. When I was a sex crimes prosecutor, when you're inundated with a certain type of subject matter that's kind of dark, it does impact you. And my wife noticed when it impacted me. While I didn't get therapy, like Chris, at the end of the day, I had to pull myself out of that specific position, uh, lest I become more warped. Uh, and I didn't notice the changes, but she definitely did and called me on it. Um, I wanted to kind of touch on something Isaiah said or, or, or some minutes ago and kind of take it to another level. We've talked about training, right? Uh, and the perspective and the mentality they have. Why not ask? I know we're putting a lot on the common citizen. You should know about firearms. You should know how to defend yourself. You should know what the law is. Uh, common Joe Blow, 12 year old. But why not ask officers who are going to become trained violence workers to understand the violence that has been exacted upon certain communities over the course of a century and how that stays with you like a residue? Um, we did not get to create the laws of, of self-defense or attack or proved violence. We were the recipients of it. We continued to be the recipients of it. When we asked to be a part of that club of violence workers, um, we were told no. When we did manage to do it during Reconstruction, those people who became the first black sheriffs or the first black officers of their towns were killed. They were murdered by mobs who included the white violence workers who are cops at that time. And there was no type of accountability. We jump forward to the 50s and the 60s and we're seeing the same thing. Um, at this point, I, I don't feel it's my responsibility as a citizen who's dealing with residual issues forced upon me by the violence workers of the past to have to educate myself. Why are not officers aware of what the communities they're dealing with? Why, like, I, there's a, a, a friend of mine, or I don't know, he doesn't talk to me anymore. He stopped taking my text messages, <laughs> but he is an officer, an officer of color, but of an international extraction, right? So he came in and said, I was raised here and I followed rules and you should follow rules and my life matters more in these situations. And I was like, pause, bro. Why don't you know that my community suffered under officers for over a century in these contexts and we're still here and we're seeing repeated behaviors? Why are you not aware and why are you not educating yourself? And then there was radio silence and then there was deflection and then there was moving on. Um, I believe that lawyers as well as officers, law enforcement officers or any type of violence worker mm -hmm. should be educated on the racial trauma and racial violence that is uh, implicit in their profession. And that we can't just act like these things are happening in a vacuum, but that they're, they are repeated cycles. Each generation is going through some type of police brutality uh, and some kind of flavor. And it, I'm disturbed and irritated when um, current violence workers act like they're unaware of it or refuse to learn about it. Or people say that's just the law when many of these laws were created and enforced and given a culture of selective enforcement against us, but not for us. And I'll give you a case in point. Georgia had a citizen's arrest law, which stemmed from a time when white people could just go out and wrestle them up a black person that they thought might be out of pocket, right? And that led to Ahmaud Arbery's Not death. Yes, it was technically legal for Ahmaud Arbery to die in that context, mm. but it was wrong. And the historical context of that law was wrong. So I'm, I, I'm against us just saying that's the law. I am for education, but I'm not for putting the onus of education solely on the uh, citizen, 
or civilian population, especially not the populations who have historically suffered under the weight of violence work. So, uh, so I'm, I'm sorry, let me just say this and I, I'm let Isaiah and then Chris, um, then we'll move on to another subject. So what I, I do want to um, thank you for that context, John, because what a lot of people don't understand is that law enforcement was based or derived from slave codes and uh, from trapping um, the black slaves and bring them back to plantations. And even to the point where um, they may not even, they may have actually been legalized as far as, um, you know, they were no, no reformer slaves and weren't, weren't slaves anymore, but it didn't matter if they didn't have their paperwork at the same time, they still have slave patrols. Uh, and so I'm glad you brought up um, Arbery because it meant back to the beginning of my opening monologue that yes, something may actually be legally justifiable, but laws or did not does not dictate morality, and we have to be careful about stuff like that. Um, you know, in this society, when people automatically want to pivot to, well, they were it was within the legal right. I'm like, well, you know, I could. There was a point in time when I couldn't even vote <laughs> legally. You know, what I mean, there was a point in time when I couldn't even do certain things legally, right? And so, I mean, we can't be so quick to pivot to the law when we want to show just right or wrong because right or wrong does not mean something is it just it's not it's not based strictly on if it's legal um go ahead isaiah i think what john was talking about is everything that's mentioned in this movie called american skin with nate parker which i did and, a pod on by the way check it out it's oh, a great movie and and i think john i think these officers know exactly the history they know exactly what's going on in these neighborhoods. They understand that these neighborhoods are uh, underprivileged. They understand that there's not a lot of resources in those neighborhoods. But again, just like we heard that audio clip, we have some officers that are being taught that they are going into a war zone instead of some regular person's neighborhood. Yeah. Just because their neighborhood doesn't look the same. And that there lies the problem. And I think that movie actually addresses some of those issues mm -hmm. and has that dialogue in that conversation in a more intense screaming <laughs> manner, right. but nevertheless has that type of dialogue. And when we talk about morality, morality is in some ways subjective as well, because true. what some individuals of the white persuasion believe is morally correct is not what, some individuals in, of, the, of the black community believe is morally correct. True. And, and, and their morality and what they believe is morally correct has shaped our laws that we have on the books today. Mm. And it is their morality. It is gun culture. I don't, I hate using that word, but it is culture in the U S yeah. that guns is great. Mm. That has shaped the types of laws that we have today. And it, it, when it comes to self-defense, when it comes to, you know, uh, possession of how many rounds and whatnot you can use. It's what we have on the books. And that has been shaped by the majority's morality. Yeah. So I actually agree with that gun culture. Um, that's that's a, a podcast in of itself that I want to address. Um, Chris, you want to touch on anything to said or just even what Isaiah just said? Y yes. You know, um, America was founded on what violence, right? Yeah. Um, so gun culture is part of that. Now, for me, what I'm big on, uh, what I've always done is um, officers, you have to understand that a lot of them, they do know, but some of them really don't know. So some, some, some of these officers is lack of 
understanding the people that they're serving. Some some of these officers, there's just ignorance. They really just, well, your parents should have did X, Y, Z, should have did this. You should have just followed this, do this, and you would have been all right. No, bro, you grew up in Windermere, and now you're policing on Mercy Drive. You cannot see those individuals as equals. This is what I teach when I'm dealing with the officers. You have to understand the history and the psychology of the people that you serve. You understand? Trauma gets passed on. So a question that I ask a lot of white officers, I say, um, if you see an elderly woman or elderly man hanging on the porch, and, and uh, if you had to guess what kind of dog they don't like, uh, what would you say? And a lot of them look at me kind of crazy. They don't know where I'm going with it. And they're like, oh, I don't know, maybe a pit bull or something like that. I'm like, no, bro. They see that German shepherd. You know what that German shepherd does? It, when they see a German shepherd, it reminds them of the um, police brutality that they experienced in the 50s and the 40s and the 30s. So, again, you have to understand the people that you're serving. All right. Um, Lieutenant Nazario, that's a perfect example of had he complied, he would have gotten shot. So, again, it, it, it there's a lot of... Um, Lack of understanding, lack of really uh, addressing the issues. But on the flip side, I will say this. I've seen, because I watch a lot of videos, I've experienced a lot of things personally while working. We do have to hold ourselves accountable. We know we don't get treated fairly. We know that. So why not start playing chess instead of continue to play checkers? Like, let's hold ourselves accountable. Let's be educated on, you know, our rights, what we can do, what we can't do. But, you know, just like, again, I said this before, we want to hold the system and the officers accountable as we should. We need to because it needs to improve. But on the flip side, there's a lot of things that I've seen, too, that had that person. And it sounds stupid, but had that person just, man, just put their hands up. They know they had a gun. Had they put their hands up, it wouldn't have reached that 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 use of deadly force. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I understand both sides. And again, I'm a black man first. So, you know, I get it. But in some situations, I'm not going to say all, some situations, it's because that individual, you know, we, we didn't hold them accountable. So, um, first of all, thank you, Chris, for that. What I want to do is I want to move on to qualified immunity. <laughs> so I know you guys were chopping up that. And uh, I'm actually going to play a clip. So, You know, right now we need to end qualified immunity, period. You know, that's my stance. Uh, we so, so you are not willing to compromise on that. So we compromise on so much. You know, we compromise, we die. We compromise, we die. We compromise, we die. You know, I'm I didn't come to Congress to compromise on what keeps us what could keep us alive because it holds police officers specifically accountable. Because the thing is this. If you don't hurt people, if you don't kill people, if you if you are just and fair in your work, then does qualified uh, do you need the qualified immunity anyway? You know, so I so the thing is, I, uh, this all of this safety net, the safety net shouldn't be there. But let me say this: where are the, all of these special protections for for nurses and and for other people in other positions that do very dangerous work? That's just trying to help people. So no, I will not compromise on that. We need to end qualified immunity, and the reason why we, there is this this um this open lane for compromise is because they see that people will do it. I, I didn't come. St. Louis did not send me here. St. Louis being number one for f police murder in the country per capita and have been that way for years. The people did not send me here to save their lives by 
falling down on the one thing that we needed the most. No. And I, you know, I don't want to belabor this, and I hear the passion in your voice on this issue, but if it comes back to the House with a compromise on qualified immunity, would you vote against that? I'm not prepared to vote. I'm not prepared to support that. So that was actually Congresswoman um, Cori Bush. And uh, she's at, she's based out of Missouri, as you, as you could surmise. And um, I'm going to go down the roll call here. So I'm going to start with you, John. What, did you, what are your thoughts on that? And so we're just loading back up the car again. So I apologize if you hear a toddler. We love babies. But um, I am against qualified immunity. There is no justification up for it. It was created from whole cloth by the U.S. Supreme Court in response to demonstrators who were going against uh, police brutality and other forms of segregationist violence. That when you look at the, the legal history of uh, the ability to sue the state, the, um, the founding fathers, as our Supreme Court and conservative lawmakers, I love to quote, the founding fathers did not envision qualified immunity. They made no space or provision for it. It was literally pieced together post-reconstruction um, by some small little slivers in the post-reconstruction case law and then brought fully together in the 50s. So no, officers have relied on it and, and sat behind it and benefited from it for way too long. Uh, there, it requires more work for a litigant or an aggrieved party to prove that they should be allowed to get beyond qualified immunity and therefore allow their case to proceed than any other type of law I've ever practiced in my life. Uh, it is disgusting. It is atrocious because usually the people who need to get past qualified immunity the most have the least resources to spend on it. Uh, and here in Alabama, they have they created an additional thing. So you have qualified immunity and then you have state immunity, state agent immunity. And they have played so many games with trying to uh, make it do what it's supposed to do, which is enshrine white supremacy, that the case law is confusing. And every five to 10 years, the Alabama Supreme Court has to re-explain itself on its own created policy. Um, so here you have to get past qualified immunity, state agent immunity, I think there's even like jailer immunity. I mean, y'all, there's layers to this bull crap. Um, so I'm, I'm against it. I believe it should be abolished outright. The Supreme Court is not going to do it. So it's incumbent upon Congress, which is right now leaning towards conservatism uh, or Biden or somebody at a federal level, though, to go ahead and just invalidate that, that doctrine that was created to protect uh, the racist actions of white uh, government and law enforcement. So in the I, early 20th century, so Isaiah, I'm going to ask you to comment on this with the caveat of also explaining to those who are not familiar what qualified immunity is. And um, I know he meant uh, mentioned Biden, if you want to if you're comfortable with that frame. Oh, sorry, whoa, I got to explain. OK, so qualified immunity just basically uh, provides protections or to officials uh, that serve certain functions, immunity from civil suits, mm -hmm. unless, you know, the plaintiff can show that they violated some type of clearly established statutory or constitutional rights, basically. Yeah. So that's all qualified immunity means. Um, I do not agree with qualified immunity. And, and John has <laughs> passionately advocated against it. And I, I absolutely agree with him. Um, I believe police officers should be on the same standard that lawyers doctors and other professionals have 
which is, were we, did we act reasonable under the circumstances? Um, uh, it, uh, did we act reasonable based upon our profession, yeah. based upon what our profession would have done under those circumstances? And that, that should be, that should be, you know, the mark. There shouldn't have to, there shouldn't be an extra jump to attempt to, you know, sue a police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I get the reason why some of these counties do it is uh, because when these shootings happen, the first thing people go after is the, is the city or the municipality and they sue the heck out of it. They get millions of dollars and whatnot. But you're only going to hold somebody accountable if you can personally hold them accountable. It's something to suing somebody and having them pay out of their own pocket that that sends a message. And so you're less likely to pull that gun out in maybe those five or seven seconds if you got to think, well, this might cost me a million dollars. And it's just one another thing in the back of somebody's mind that, hey, look, de-escalate when you can de-escalate. Right. Mm -hmm. Just always move off of deadly force. And it's 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 another thing to give the community and citizens in the United States, white or black, because they're believe it or not, there are white people that are killed by police officers as well. It's one thing to give is we should be giving our citizens opportunities to seek civil remedies, not just criminal criminal remedies, but civil remedies against these people that use unreasonable force under those professional circumstances. Um, do you think that come on could I add something on that yeah go ahead so I this is just for edification Uh, Isaiah was spot on about qualified immunity but what people should understand is qualified to to get past qualified immunity to jump past that hurdle push through that door the court is going to say was the law enforcement officer on the agency aware that such action was unlawful under our laws, right? And so it can't be common sense. It has to be, a, it literally has to be a court decision that's already been decided in their jurisdiction. The highest, uh, or the, gets the most weight is a court decision or a fact pattern that was decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. If not the U.S. Supreme Court, then the Circuit Court of Appeals for your geographic region. If not the Circuit Court of Appeals for your geographic State region, then the District Court, which is the trial court, which is the court that you would go to with your lawsuit, um, then, it, then that court had to have a decision. And they always usually have to be published decisions. So if the appellate court or the trial court chooses not to publish its opinion about a fact pattern in which a police officer acted wrongly, then the, neither the police officer nor the agency is quote unquote on notice that their behavior was bad under qualified immunity. Also, if a fact pattern uh, happened, let's say in California, right? And they, the court out there said that it's not lawful, qualified immunity doesn't apply, you can sue the officer in the city. But you're in Florida, and that type of fact case scenario has never come up before the court. The court in your jurisdiction cannot um, confidently rely on that decision out of California because the California decision is not expected to give notice to Florida cops. So when you look at qualified immunity, it's not just a matter of, oh, is this unlawful? Is it an unlawful action that has been decided before or close to it in your jurisdiction? And that's hard. And that takes a lot of research for your attorney to find it. And there's a reason not a lot of attorneys sue law enforcement officers because it requires an extra extra level of research and understanding. 
and, 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 and persuasion um, to, to get around that hurdle. And I just wanted to throw that in there so people had additional context oh, for what Isaiah was talking dope. about. That's dope. Chris, you want to jump in here? Definitely. Um, I look at things differently. Um, I do believe that officers need to be held accountable personally, because at the end of the day, you hit them where it hurts. What does it hurt? Pockets, right? When they personally have to come out of pocket, not the agency, not whatever insurance policy that the agency has, not whatever um, 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 or anybody else who the city or, you know, let them personally pay for that. You know what I'm saying? Um, But I do believe that qualified immunity should exist, but it needs to be modified, needs to be changed. Um, Because just like, you know, it's it's like this, if an officer does something that is right, you know, um, and we don't have qualified immunity, now people have the opportunity to just start, you know, like, all right, the officer acted accordingly, but I feel like he didn't. Now, now what? Now we're going to put officers who actually do the right thing through these, the through the legal motions, I, I don't. I don't think we should do that. Mm-hmm. That's just me. If the officer, if we, if we but can, that's what con- if we can do what, um, like John said, and and change those hurdles, and we can identify, like we all know what's right. We like our bro. Like example, um, Walter Scott Reed. He got killed. He got shot in the back. He was fleeing because he had what suspended license. It was it because he failed to pay child support, and the officer lied executed him nine shots to the, to the, to the back. And he, he would have gotten away with it if that man in the park wasn't recording that video. So, you know, the, we, we've seen cases where we're like, all right, man, the, this officer was out of line, out of pocket. He needs to be held accountable, not having the police union um, back him up, um, you know, or, or pay for him or not having the agency say, you know what, we're, we're, we're going to take care of this. The city's going to pay for it. And then that's that. And then he goes on to continue the same behavior. So a couple of things need to change, not only with the qualified immunity, but the contracts with the police unions that needs to change as well, because they have the power. They have the power and they have the money. So these things need to be changed. Um, You know, so that's just me. Um, But I do agree that qualified immunity for me, it needs to be changed. Um, Police unions, the contracts, those things need to be changed. That way it is an easier process when we've clearly we can clearly see that. This officer violated these rights. This was not per protocol, per training. And yes, you have the green light to to go after that person civilly. And then it'll start changing the be. It's going to do one of two things: change the behavior of these bad apples, or they're gonna they're gonna leave. Because now they know. All right, my family can lose everything. I can lose everything. So isn't isn't? I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. So I, I do want to push. Yeah. So, um. So I'll give you. And, and I'm, I'm going to rely on Alabama a lot because this is just a very special place. So there are several municipalities in Alabama that do not insure professionally provide professional liability insurance. You're breaking for up, their John. Frontline officers, because they believe. Oh, I'm sorry. We're driving through the sticks. Yeah. So there are several cities and towns in Alabama that do not provide professional liability insurance for their officers, and that means the concept being. You know, sue the officer, the officer can pay. Well, if the officer is causing hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage through their action or millions of dollars in damage to, to the to the litigant, there, no officer on their pay has that kind of money. And so what ends up happening is lawyers were suing these officers, getting the judgment, but not getting any money for their client. No money for their client means this was a waste of two to three years of time. Uh, no money for the client means no money for the attorney. 
So these attorneys here in Alabama are disincentivized to even sue officers in these cities. It's to the point that if they hear that an issue happened in a certain city or town, they're just like, I'm sorry, unless there's a way we can tack this on to the city or the agency itself, I'm not suing the officer because you won't get any money and I won't get any money. And this will just have been an exercise in futility. So I do not think, based on what I'm seeing here in Alabama, I do not think that's a wise course of action to hang our hat on the personal fortunes of an undercompensated officer. Um, I do believe that we need the liability insurance. I do not, and that need, they need to be, um, the insurance needs to pay out. That's the purpose of insurance. I do not believe that an officer needs to be treated differently than a, a, any other citizens of the United States of America uh, by getting to avoid court because someone went to sue them. If the suit is false or the suit is unjustified, it will be dismissed. And you can get it dismissed sometimes with costs taxed against the person who vexed your life with the stupid suit. Um, so no, an officer to me is just another common citizen. They just happen to take a job that involves violence work. Um, what is the liability of that? They may be sued. And if they are sued and it's, aggra it's aggravating, then they should leave the profession or their, their liability insurance will handle it. As a, as a lawyer, I have liability insurance. And if someone sues me for an action, my insurance is gonna handle it. And I may not like it, but I may need to learn, well, what is it that I'm doing that triggers these suits against my insurance? Um, so I, and I'm not trying to, I, I know sometimes I can come off strident. I'm not attacking on this point, but I am trying to emphasize that that strategy will not work and it does not work in a poor, under-supported state like Alabama, uh, where most of the folks who have been suing these types of law enforcement officers in these types of communities are not getting any form of compensation to deal with their lifelong injuries and or property damage. So I want to say this, and I want to have Isaiah chime in point. here. That's I want a good point. I like that. What it does is when you strip the, the availability of funds from something, in a way it protects white supremacy in that particular establishment because it it makes you dissuaded from actually asserting your privileges or asserting your rights when something bad happens be like oh there's no money there so why are you even going to waste your time with the lawsuit and i know personally when i'm uh, dealing with people you know it, it is this disconcerting when we like we look at who is going to sue like oh there's no money there and you have to explain to them the jaws of the legal system of how it the gears of the legal system grind slowly and like it's going to take three to four years for us to have you for you to seek justice can you bear with me can you do that a lot of people don't have the time and energy or depending on the type of case the civil the, the the money to do that some firms don't have the money to carry those cases so we have to be careful again about taking away the ability of the municipality or the state to pay for these things because Ideally, it's going to dissuade from uh, regular citizens from asserting their right. Isaiah, you want to jump in? I believe that these police unions, when we, we just talked about police unions having so much power and controlling. Push back. Make sure the police union, those members that are part of the police unions, have liability insurance. Mm -hmm. That's where all the money is. Put your money in a pot. Have an expansive, expansive uh, insurance policy. Have it like that. Don't push back. They should be able to be sued like I am able to be sued as a lawyer, right? If they don't act reasonably as their profession would have under the circumstances, they should be sued. I don't, you guys, in my opinion, got to raise your level of pay. I don't care if you have enough. If you do something that harms a family member of mine 
or a friend of mine, I'm going to sue you. You know what I'm going to do with that, that verdict that I get back or that money, that judgment that I get back from you? I'm going to garnish your wages. So every single paycheck, you're going to see me pop up. 25%. It's a driver's license. So every single time you have to catch the bus, you're going to see me pop up. I'm going to make life hard on you. You know why? Because I've lost a loved one because of you. And I've also lost or, or, or somebody has been injured significantly because of you. Somebody has to go through trauma because of you. So I'm going to make life as hard as possible. So, look, that's what I do for a living, man. I do some subrogation stuff and I hate to do it, but I got to suspend people's licenses. I got to garnish people's wages. That's justice. And I believe police officers should should have to go through the same thing as everyday regular folks, such as myself, because all they did was sign up for a job such as myself. So I, the question I have, though, Can is, I say something real quick. Yeah. Um, listening to what Isaiah just said, I, I agree with that. So the, here's a question, though, because I, I again, my friends in law enforcement, they say uh, particularly the recruitment of law enforcement is down. Um, people are not going into these, and I'm, I'm I'm not sure, Chris, you're nodding because I think you may have heard the same thing that nationally recruitment is down in law enforcement because these same things like I don't want to lose my job over a mistake, I don't want to lose my money over a mistake, and you know all these things that go along with it and the accoutrements of the danger that goes in with being a law enforcement officer. And so, how do you levy that um, fair plausibility of people getting their rights asserted? Um, properly also with trying to recruit decent amount of people in this profession. Like how do you balance that? Or is there even an answer for that? I'm going to give that to you, Chris. I, I don't know, man. It's, it's the, with the given times right now. Um, it is very hard specifically for minorities. You know, a lot of agencies are looking to try to get minorities, but minorities that's, that's, that's not a field that they're jumping into. Yeah. Uh, law enforcement throughout this country is predominantly white. Um, unless you're in places like Atlanta, Detroit, um, that those agencies are predominantly black. Yeah. Um, Memphis, you know, uh, but anywhere outside of that, it's it is the, it's predominantly white. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't can't give you an answer. It's just, yeah, you know, it, it's it's hard. But I, I I agree with what everyone is echoing. Mm-hmm. Officers got to be held accountable like everyone else. So I think what, what happens is when you go into the academy, you get taught about qualified immunity and people who um, have ulterior motives or, or whatever the case may be. That is like the blanket protection, like All right, I'm good no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so if we start changing that and we and we start holding people accountable, um, then it's going to either change the behavior immediately yeah. um, or those individuals who do conduct themselves without integrity um who do police unfairly or excessively will will leave the profession because then they're going to have individuals like isaiah coming after them aggressively Isaiah, i know you wanted to chime in here i I just think the reason why i think one thing they'll say is oh like the black lives matter movement is the reason why recruitment's down No, no no yeah no what's starting to occur is though shows that we used to watch you know we still we still love will smith and martin lawrence bad boys for life right but we're starting to see that those types of movies that show those types of actions they're not cool no more right that's what we're really starting to see Mm -hmm. we're also starting to see and i think this is because i have i have a, a, a few fraternity brothers in in law enforcement 
we're starting to uncover things with with the FBI and they're doing their they're looking at white nationalism and yeah. ter- we're starting to uncover things now that are starting to be publicized and put in papers that the this this white nationalism runs deep right and it's running deep not just in law enforcement but the military too yeah that's that's pushing that's pushing not just black people back but white people don't some there's white people that do not want to be associated with that i think we we also got to be a little exclusive here for today yeah and there are a lot of white people that are out there marching not per se causing destruction and whatnot they out there marching with us as well and they're pushing back too like i don't know if i want to be a part of that because of what this is looking like. Well, I'll, there, I'll just say one more ahead. thing to add on to what Isaiah said. Yeah. This the these individuals have always infiltrated law enforcement and the military for, for the longest. Yeah. Just like we know back in the 50s, 60s, 40s, all these white officers, majority of them are part of what? The KKK. Yeah. So, you know, it's always been there. Um, and again, these are some of the facts that you know white officers don't like to hear. Um, but bro, it's factual. It's it's crazy because it's so insepid within um like in military and uh, law enforcement that today Merrick Garland just said that they're going to investigate the Louisville Police Department and it was like for some people like what and other people like yeah that makes sense because the whole Breonna Taylor and everything went behind it but it's something that it's the fact that we ha- we're finally getting a U.S. attorney like we're going to be investigating a police department and. You know, that is incredible news in of itself. It's incredible on one end because we literally have to have the government investigating itself. And then we have to. But then it's incredible that it's never really happened before. Right. And so um, it's it's it kind of ties into this fact. I'm going to play this clip. Um, You know, I have something ready, as always. (laughs) (laughs) Senator, is there systemic racism in this country in policing? and in other institutions? Uh, No, not in my opinion. We just elected a two-term African-American president. The vice president is of African-American Indian descent. So our systems are not racist. America is not a racist country. Within every society, you have bad actors. Uh, The Chauvin trial was a just so obviously, you guys know who that was. That was Senator Lindsey Graham out of South Carolina, and you know he's so ridiculous and, and bombastic in a lot of statements. But that particular um, scene, I played, I placed that clip because it's just almost this willful blindness to under, the understanding that there is white supremacy within um, law enforcement. And I know why he's doing it because he doesn't play to his crowd, but. Uh, Isaiah, what were your thoughts when you heard that? It's, it, let's not uh, look. Franklin, uh, the the guy that looks like Franklin with Lindsey Graham. Let's not act like he is oblivious to this. He he absolutely knows this. He gets right. those security uh, briefings as well. He understands that white nationalism is running rampant in law enforcement. Right. He knows that this is about politics for him. Yeah. He can't come out and say that that this is running rampant. It would it would destroy him. And he's in South Carolina, right? Yeah. yeah. It would destroy him. I mean, he 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 barely was getting, and I know he won by 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 a wide margin, but yeah. there were literally this this was a major fight for him. Yeah. This this situation against against a black guy, and and I and again, I know he won by flying colors, but right. he was still like kind of he was sweating the last two weeks. He was sweating, yeah, yeah. He, he was, was sweating. sweating, so he cannot. I I think 
the problem is, is that there are people, <laughs> you look at some of the, the lawsuits against Fox News and they completely say this is for entertainment purposes, not for news purposes. Yeah. There are people watching these stations and they hear that and they say, see, no biggie. We got a black president. Yeah. <laughs> we, got a, we got a black and Asian vice president. Not a big problem at all. You know, right. And, and that just simply isn't true. According to the people, white people used to trust the most. The FBI. So I don't know what's going on here. Right. Chris, what do you think? Man, it's it's like people seem to think just racism just magically disappeared once the Civil Rights Act was passed. And, and you know, I had, a, I had a very good friend. He's white, you know. Um, he, was, he was, to me, I considered him a brother. And then when the George Floyd incident happened, I really started to see how, you know, I don't really know this guy. Like the things that he was saying, the arguments we were having offline. And I'm like, bro, like I eat at your house. I like I'm with your family. I'm doing all that. And it's like, oh, but you're different, you know, yeah, and it's yeah. I, so now. Listen, 42 percent of Republicans um, actually did not agree with the verdict. <laughs> yeah. So that was what? Yeah. 42 percent of Republicans did not agree with the verdict. And um it's it's heartbreaking, man, it, and it's frustrating for me because <clears throat> I'm, you know, both sides. I want both sides to see that there's some valid concerns, but more importantly, bro, like the black community, the concerns are up there. The police brutality, the excessive force, <clears throat> it's up there. Um, the unfair policing, because I always acknowledge that, you know, we've seen people get away with certain things, but it's like they just. They, they don't want to acknowledge it. And then that's what's more infuriating. You know, you have to acknowledge the wrongs. Uh, so I'm going to I'm I'm actually, um, unless, John, you want to jump in here? I want to um, create a subject. Or do you have anything you want to say here? No, I share everyone else's opinions. I won't be the dead horse. Okay. So here's where I want to I lean on this. Uh, defund the police. That is a popularized term that came out in the last 12 months, especially in light of the, um, you know, death, the murder of George Floyd. We can actually say the murder now. And I have an opinion on it. I, I to my thought process is I'm not opposed. I don't really care about the term defund police. I don't care about the, the term because honestly, in my mind, when other people say defund education, we know we're not taking away education. When we say defund um, when we say taking away uh, uh, defund health care, we're not saying oh people can't get health care. We say defund the police. We're just saying reapportionment of defeat of the the monies. What people don't realize is that by uh, aggregate numbers collectively naturally, we are the third high. We spend uh, I guess the third most in military force in the world. According to just law enforcement, the way how much one hundred and fifteen billion dollars aggregate is afforded to law enforcement in this country. Now, I'm again, I'm not saying that law enforcement shouldn't get money. What I'm saying is when you have in for say I live in Orlando, a, a tank, you know, the OPD has a tank and I'm like, bro. What do you? Why do we need a, a tank? Well, is is are we are we getting occupied by Germany? Like, what do you need in a tank for in your police department? Like, just to have just to just to and then they promoted like we got a tank. Like it was like they were they were bragging about it. Like I'm like, yo, why why do y'all need 
$300,000 vehicle. Like, what is going on with that? You know, and so um, when I say defund the police, I'm actually, I'm afforded. I don't care about the term. I don't, I, that, it doesn't bother me, but I understand why people are pushed back against it. But for me, I'm all, I'm all about it because I understand what it means and what it entails. Um, I'm going to start with you, Isaiah, and then I'm going to go to Chris and then uh, go to John. Defund police is one of the worst messages. <laughs> but 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 the Democrats are known to do this. But this wasn't even a Democrat's message, right? No, right. This right. Was, this was Black Lives Matter, the organization, right? Which is separate from Black Lives Matter, the movement. Mm-hmm. People always Republicans want to make them the same. Yeah. But also laypersons always kind of confuse them. With a lot of people that march for Black Lives Matter, they probably don't agree with the Black Lives Matter organization's platform. Yeah. <laughs> but defund the police is a terrible message. It's it's terrible messaging. There's so many better better messages. And I think Barack Obama spoke on this and he got all this pushback from AOC and everybody like that. But Barack Obama went up there and won <laughs> twice. He run he won the electoral college and he won the popular vote for a reason. He's an extremely popular, extremely great politician, and he understands messaging, hope, change, forward. He's great at that stuff. And defund the police is just a terrible message. I get what people are saying. The better phrase, y'all, the better phrase for it would be police reform. We need reform. It's not just taking money and allocating that money to the community. It's actually things like training because, you know, I think John made a great point. We got to train some of these officers who do not, uh, who are coming from, I'm from Tampa, so I don't know everything in Orlando, but that are coming from South Tampa, Florida and coming into West Tampa, trying to tell them, oh, this is how things are. You need to train those people to help them understand the situation that they're entering into. And it shouldn't be where well, you're about to enter into a war zone type of situation. So let right? me, let me, so the thing is though, and again, this is the counter to that is how do you reform something that we just admitted not even a few minutes ago that is embedded with white supremacy. How do you, is, can, is this even something that you can reform or do we need to tear it down and rebuild it up again? Can you, can you reform white supremacy? That's the question. Yeah. You can't. Yeah, we can. whoa, 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 can we reform white supremacy? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, I, on the record, I do not believe we can reform white supremacy. I believe we can reform the police. And and I'll say that we do we go through in the state of Florida about every 10 years we go through something called um we go through something called tort reform. Yeah. We can change some of these policies and change we can cut qualified immunity, and that would be a reform, right? It doesn't have to be, it doesn't, we just small changes bit by bit. But the biggest thing is honestly qualified immunity. Yeah. And then we can start moving towards some type of reform there. Mm-hmm. Chris, what are your thoughts? Oh, um, definitely. I agree that um, just the way we go about training officers, uh, I think we, we're we all on the same page on that. You know, if you're going to be policing the community, you need to understand the people that you're policing. Um, there is a training block that FDLE does in the in the academy, which we get to learn about 
interacting with people like in the Asian community and just like little things like, you know, um, like um, women in the Middle East, like, you know, if you're talking to them, they're not going to look you directly in the eyes. Some of them may not even talk to you because they're married. So, you know, we, we learn this stuff, right? Why are we not truly learning and applying this when it comes to dealing with the black community? Yeah. Why? And, and, and the Hispanics, right? Black and brown community. Why are we not effectively doing that? Um, and that was one thing I was very big on. And, you know, a lot of people in my circle, they are big on that. But it needs to start from the top, you know, so the chief, the sheriff, um, you know, these people who make the laws like we, you know, collectively, if we if we all get on the same page, we can make it happen. Now, I do kind of um, a lot of people that I've spoken to like, oh, you know, how are you Black Lives Matter? And I'm one of those like, yes, I, I support the movement. But the actual organization, like when I read their mission statement and the things that they were trying to do, I don't support that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of people um, are either they really don't know or they're right. purposely choosing to operate under that. Oh, you know, you guys want to do this. You want to do that. Um, defunding the police. Uh, can they spend their money better? Yes. But there's some things that I've that I've seen that, you know, agencies have that have come to use. Um, in certain situations. So I think it's just trying to understand both sides. And then what is the goal? What do we really want? We want reform. How do we get reform? So let's stick to that. John. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a loaded, super loaded term. Um, To the second part. I, I do believe there should be a reapportionment of, of resources in fact, some of my colleagues uh, on my team, we do criminal justice reform. We actually had like a multi-month debate and discussion about whether we are police abolitionists or police reformists mm. and whether we're prison abolitionists and prison reformists. And everyone pretty much agreed we believed in the abolition of prisons because they were not functioning in any way that rehabilitated humans. But we faltered on policing. Um, that's rough. I've seen some good jurisdictions and some good agencies, especially when I was a prosecutor, that if something happened to me, I, I would tell, I would jokingly, but semi-seriously tell people, drag me across the jurisdictional line so that this agency can investigate my situation. Uh, or otherwise, just let me die and let it be. Um, but there are others that are just horrible. And so I, I, I'm still conflicted about whether a entire concept, professional concept can be salvaged because I know five or 10 good agencies or whether or not we really should just scrap it and we and, and rebuild. And yet it'll be painful and it'll be long and drawn out, but at least we can root out the white supremacy that is embedded. And also not just white supremacy, right? Cause that was mainly the South, the anti-blackness, but up yeah. North it was, um, anti-immigrant sentiment the yeah. policing around up, up in the north was organized around the concept of regulating the irish and the yeah. italians and the non-protestants yeah so um i don't know y'all that's something i still wrestle with i mean and sometimes i get looked at a little funny in the civil rights world because of that no but you, here's, here's the thing i get it i just i what i don't i find it really interesting again everything pivots back to white supremacy for me because we again have never, ever, ever, ever challenged. And I understand your point, Isaiah. Um, it's a terrible phrasing, but we've never challenged the idea when they say we're gonna um, defund Social Security. 
Like you know, the, it's like it's, it's, it's under. Although there's a challenge on a on a particular p- political side of, yeah, you know, um, you know, we're I we don't we want to keep Social Security in as intact. But when they say we're going to defund Social Security or we're going to defund education, we're going to defund um, healthcare. It's understood, and there's a there's a level of uh, uh, sophistication in understanding that. But when it comes to this, all of a sudden there's a loud cry from both from the left and the right. And I hate to use left right ring. And I was wondering, what is that about? Like, because my thing is we have a, we can have a level of discernment with everything else except for this. And to me, when it, a hurt dog hollers, right. You know what I mean? So like, what is, does that mean that we're actually, we're onto something. We're onto something I- when you have to, when, when people are actually decrying, like, oh, we don't like that term. That term's scary, you know? I'm going to push back because when these politicians talk about defunding Social Security, defunding, they don't use that terminology. Mm-hmm. They use reform. They use other buzzwords, mm. buzzwords to market that because Social Security, would, I'm in Sarasota, Florida. <laughs> Say something about defunding Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security. These people (laughs) will rise up and vote you right out of office. Mm. They use other things. Like, if they want to bust up unions, this is so created by the Republicans, right? They'll say job choice, employment freedom. (laughs) Just just (laughs) bust up. Case in point. Yeah. We we talked before, we were were talking about about Umar Johnson, him talking about the Asian crime bill. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's how it's marketed. Right. The actual bill is the COVID-19 hate crimes act. Right. <laughs> so it's just about marketing when it comes to that. Yeah. And, and marketing is everything. Right. Yeah. And we got to sell a product. I agree, I agree with that. That's so inclusive that we get real change done. Yeah. Politics is just marketing uh, 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 attributed to law. That's all it is. Um. So, and I, I say that all the time. And I, I said that in 2016, why I thought Donald Trump was going to win, I was like, he's a better marketer. So, so mastermind so, marketer. Yeah, mastermind. He's a better marketer. He he coins terms and he knows how to push out a narrative, and that's what that is his was his innate gift. Um, so I agree with that. All right. Um, I want to. I don't want to leave here before talking about what happened in North Carolina. That is, it's. Uh, I know we don't have all the facts. And it's hard to really comment on this particular thing, but um, you knew it was some shit that was happening when the the mayor and the governor were like, it's going to be a state of, they want to declare a state of emergency. Uh, they they fired three police officers. They suspended or put on administrative leave seven. And they only showed an apportionment of 20 seconds of the video. Two of the family attorneys and Ben Crump, who's right now in um, uh, North Carolina right now with the family. I mean, it's a lot to peel back from that. But like just when you first heard about it, or at least are you are you guys familiar with what happened in North Carolina? Chris, go ahead. No, I'm not. Oh, Um, deputies in Elizabeth City were serving a warrant and um, allegedly the uh, suspect uh, attempted to flee and this is where that's all we know and he was shot in the back at a head now, I don't back know, of the head in the back of the head yeah oh wow see i didn't i didn't know that i was i was waiting on the full body cam footage to come out um 
and I didn't even know that they already fired people. Yeah. So I don't know because if they're firing that quick, you know, I don't. It's not looking good because how long has it been? It's been what four, five days, right? This yeah. happened on uh, the twenty first, I believe. I think it happened on Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they they haven't released the video, and now you're saying that they only showed the family 20 seconds. Yeah. No, I want to know what happened, like, the, you know, the minute or two before that and after the totality. I want to see everything because then that gives everyone a, a, a better idea of what transpired. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, it's not looking good. Here, here we go with not being transparent. Correct. Yeah. And, and this is the reason why we have issues with believing and trusting in the system. Mm-hmm. You've already acknowledged that you're firing people left left and right. You might as well release the video. Correct. Yeah. Uh, then as soon as you release that video, go ahead and arrest them. Hit them with these charges. That'll quiet the, cr- the crowd down. They've already attributed to a homicide. They've already g- said it's a homicide. Here, here's what here's what I was here's what <laughs> <laughs> It's about to go down. They, I had you know. to ask multiple times to get an understanding because, again, I haven't seen the video. There's no video about. I'd right. ask. I said, "Wait a minute. So you're saying somebody was shot in the back of the head while fleeing a warrant search? I'm not understanding." <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they didn't advise what the warrant was for, to my knowledge. I don't know. Um, was he shot in a car? That's the thing. I I heard, and you know, you hear different things. Uh, I believe they said that he was inside of a vehicle attempting to flee the house. So this is why it's very important to release the body cam because then everyone can see what's going on. Yeah. If there's an officer in front of the vehicle and the vehicle's moving forward, it's a deadly weapon. You can shoot. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the problem. Why is he shot in the back of the head? Now, this is that. So I'm going to, I'm going to add some stuff to it. So, okay. <clears throat> If depending and this is where this the in-depth investigation is going to come in. Um, now, Isaiah, you're you're my partner, right? You're you just happen to run in front of the vehicle. You're trying to, you know, he, he was yeah. jumping inside the vehicle. You're running behind him. You're in front. And I'm coming up from the rear. And let's say he tries to take off. I see a vehicle charging at who? At, at, at me. At you. So now that's reasonable that I can now use deadly force because the suspect is you know, using deadly force on you. But again, we have to release the video. We need to see everything from all the deputies involved, the incident report, like what transpired, you know, it's, but the fact that they haven't released it yet and they're firing people already. And they've already deemed dead homicide. Just, and I'm going to say, it probably looks like part of my French, they fucked up. Just, just go ahead and arrest them. That's it. Why are you, why are you calling in the national guard? When you know what people want, correct. You know people just want accountability and transparency, just like anybody else. So just handle like it accordingly. But just then handle- now, what they're going to do is they they fail to do that. People are emotionally charged. They're upset, and what's going to happen? Yeah, it's going to explode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just want to say, by the time we're, we're recording it, they may release it by Tuesday morning by the time people hear this podcast. But I don't know. So I'm going to say, as of Monday night, <laughs> the video has not been released. Uh, John, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, Man. I'm going to give you an alley-oop here. I know we spoke offline about the um, 
police videos and the purview of using grading police videos from uh, um, of just the perspective of police and not getting a full scope of what really happened. Like, do you want to jump off on that? Sure, I appreciate that 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 handoff. Um, I would I would hope that whatever entity is going to investigate this, whether it's the local police or a statewide investigative agency. Uh, that they find multiple points of view and that they not limit themselves to the body cam. I mean, I've watched body cam sometimes and just from the mounting of the camera on the officer and if they respond and they're running, it's all frenetic and shaky and I'm thinking something's about to go down and they may have taken five steps from the corner of the house to the back door. Uh, but as, a, as someone watching it, I think something more serious happened and it discolors how I evaluate the incident. So. I hope this incident came with surveillance footage. I hope they obtain it. I hope no one dis destroys it. What we saw in Alabama with uh, E.J. Bradford when he was shot in the Hoover Mall on Thanksgiving weekend a few years ago and killed uh, is that the state investigative agency took all the body cameras and every surveillance footage and all the cell phone footage, and they never released it. And the only thing they did when they went to, to put the his Bradford's killing as justified is they, they released a report that had still frame shots, no complete video footage, not even any any video footage. It was just still shots. And they used the frames they wanted to justify the narrative they created. Um, so I agree, transparency, accountability. But I thought someone had mentioned, maybe it was here or somewhere else on the radio I heard today, that in North Carolina, they have to get a judge's permission to release the video. Yeah. I know in Tennessee they have to, and that's going on in Knoxville right now right. with the young man who was killed in his high school. But uh, I know here in Alabama, there's no entitlement to the video. So Florida sits in a pretty pretty good space where the videos can and will be released. But a lot of other states, you got to jump some more hoops before it, it can come out. Well, the I, statement, I feel for North Carolina. The, the statement I've heard and agree, I'm in agreement with that, but they also were like, they can, it's easy to file, someone can easily file that motion the prosecutor offers could file that motion immediately and had it heard in front of a judge and an emergency hearing that had the video released if they really wanted that video. But they're what they're delaying having that or filing the motion or getting everything in order because they're as to Isaiah's point, they're trying to batten out the hashes a little bit because they know they feel like Elizabeth um town is gonna is gonna burn and they don't want that to happen. So um The hearing know, is Wednesday. Oh, the hearing is Wednesday. And so yeah. The statement was that they could have had, they could have fast tracked and had that hearing by last Friday, if they wanted Correct. it. You know, emergency hearing. Yeah, but here's where we need some type of executive action on behalf of Joe Biden here. Mm -hmm. um, and the executive action should in, 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 in enforce some type of standards for when these incidents happen. These videos should be released within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, if you noticed when we see a justified shooting, that it's video got hours, released hours, yeah. <laughs> within hours. But when it's unjustified, they keep it under wraps for quite some time. And I think this should spark J Joseph Biden and Kamala Harris to go send federal agents down to this area in North Carolina and conduct an investigation into their policing practices. Mm -hmm. When you have a situation like this occur and it's this hush hush, well, you just draw attention to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it's it's a I think people need to get on Joseph, Joseph Biden and Kamala Harris and, and make sure the DOJ is 
going to investigate that particular agency um, because this makes no sense. John, hey, is this agency a black agency? Because um, I, I, I thought that was a small town in North Carolina with a big black population. It's a, it's a small town in North Carolina. I don't know the makeup of that department. And I, okay. I don't want to sit there and, you know, project or say anything. I don't even know the, the, the race of the officers, to be quite frank with you. Um, so Okay, because I, I'd only have concerns about sending in federal investigation. You know, if, if, the, if the feds are going to finally do something, their first example would be to go to the small black agency uh, and do it. I, the optics of that is I'd worry about. But I'm, I'm with you otherwise, Isaiah. I'm like, yeah. Send in, send in some investigators, but I just want them to choose maybe another agency. Yeah. Um. So, what the problem what we're having now is that we talked about lack of uniformity within policing, national uniformity, and I know Obama signed a law. It was called the Blue Alert Law back in 2013 or some mess like that. What I want to see. Um, Biden and Kamala Harris to set forth a policy or Congress. You know, we have we have now 51 senators and we have uh, we have the majority. We don't have a supermajority in the House, but we have majority. Let's pass a law that befits a standard um, um, conduct of policing that goes down to training, that goes down to release uh, uh, videos, that down that goes down to conduct of investigations. Those things should be something that I would like to see. And I don't, you know, there are bigger minds than me who work in those areas and the spaces that can actually get down to the nitty gritty. But that's something that I would like to see in the national narrative of, and how we can actually have more uh, transparency. And I think transparency brings in a better attitude with the department or with law enforcement in general. When you're transparent, the PR works for itself, right? Because politics is just marketing with attributed to law. So anybody, you guys, um, have any statements um so i just looked up uh elizabeth city yeah it is predominantly um african-american okay um 55 percent um african-american and 39 percent white mm-hmm. hmm. all so, right so, um, so so was ferguson yeah mm-hmm. and and obama sent sent the doj over there and they took ferguson's police department over Correct. And then so, for, but uh, the Ferguson Police Department was mainly white. Yeah. And so I, I just want to make sure that oh. they do it to Elizabeth City. It, it should be a, a, it shouldn't be a black agency. I, I get I get your point. Yeah. All yeah. right. So, fellas, um, give final thoughts on everything we spoke about or, you know, I'm going to start with Chris. And I'm going to Isaiah and then I'm going to let you end it, John. So, um, again, you know, we definitely need uh, reform in policing. Uh, we need to hold officers accountable. We need the system. Uh, we need reform for the in the system, right? Um, we we want that transparency. We want to be policed the same. Um, you know the you know the same way they police in Windermere. We want to want them to police in our black and brown neighborhoods. Uh, I, I I also add that as people, we need to be accountable for the things we do. Um, nonetheless, you know, in these unfortunate situations are very traumatic and there's, there's, there's no winners. Um, so it's like, how do we prevent these situations from continuously occurring? Um, not just, you know, saying that we need reform in law enforcement because we do, 
but what effect, what can we do effectively in our neighborhoods? Like, what can we start changing? You know, like we need to have these raw, um, uncomfortable conversations um, and, and start coming up with a, a plan of a plan of action. Um, that, that's that's me. Isaiah. I think we've had these conversations mm-hmm. so often. I think we we're not starting to see it in our in our entertainment and everything like that. It's time for our elected officials to start moving with some type of action. We're seeing some things. The first out, the first traces of changes always happen in the judicial system. So we're starting to see those changes. Now we need to get some stronger laws on the books. And we got to basically get rid of qualified immunity. And we're going to have to go about that marketing it to be ex- inclusive of everyone. We just can't do it alone. We're only 13.9% of the population. And so we need not allies. I love, uh, I forgot what the sister's name is, but we need accomplices, accom- accomplices in this situation to push forward and create real change in the United States. And uh, we also have to change within ourselves because we have to start educating ourselves. Um, and we just start, we have to start uh, making sure that we are protecting ourselves as best as possible when these situations arrive. And, and protection is just, we need to just make it home. Um, and that's all I have to say. John. I definitely believe that um, going forward, instead of just reacting to each instance of, of, of injustice, we all need to have serious discussions within our churches, our families, our friendship groups uh, about our philosophical stance, violence work. What we You're breaking up, John. You're breaking up. Hello? Jeez. John, you're going in and out, buddy. Y'all, I'm driving through the country. I know. Can you hear me? I can hear you a lot better now. Uh, okay. I just drove through Clinton, Alabama, so it's it's, it's going to be a little rough. But um, <laughs> we need to have some serious discussions amongst our, our networks, our groups, our families, our churches uh, about our philosophy on violence, right? Yeah. And whether or not we believe the American society can survive with violence workers, or as we call them, law enforcement, uh, whether we need them. And if we do need them, how should they be structured? And whether it's time to to rebuild or recreate or re-envision what public safety looks like. Maybe it's not violence work, maybe it's public safety. And that's gonna require us who are civilians to discuss it. It's gonna require the current violence workers to discuss it amongst themselves as, as well as with us. And I think we definitely need to be very honest about the role that race and class have played uh, in and how this, um, Public safety has played out and violence work has played out in this nation. As far as our, our, our politics go, I mean, we're angry. Everyone's doing what they're supposed to do, which is discussing, uh, vocalizing, protesting. Uh, but we also have to recognize that we can't all be running for office in the five same jurisdictions where enough of our friends and family live. We're going to have to spread out, go to these rural areas or these slightly wider areas and start running for office there. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, our, our five little legislators who get elected yeah. out of 200 aren't going to move the needle. Yeah. Uh, and we can't expect those who live in other environments to be uh, overly concerned 
with what's impacting our little 13% of the population. So it's going to require us to get up off our butts and, and, and take a chance and run for office. And then last thing is the marketing. I totally agree with y'all on that. Uh, civil rights suffers, uh, as, as do most progressive uh, advocates, it suffers from poor marketing. And, and sometimes you got to put a spin on an issue to get it past the people and to the legislature uh, and, and get some good action done. So that's what I, I'd ask everyone to sit with. Beautiful. So I'm going to say this. Um, I really wanted to have this conversation and I wanted to have it with just three brothers, man, and black men um, from different purviews of life. Uh, you know, and, and what you guys saw is that there wasn't, we didn't, we agreed on a lot of things and some things we didn't agree on, but you know what? We did, there wasn't no attacking, right? There was no like, oh man, you don't know what you're talking about or anything like that. And I wanted to have a civilized, but a thorough discussion and I wouldn't say we come up with with answers to everything, but I think that's what really needs to happen amongst ourselves. An intro discussion before we can have an extra discussion, right? We would I want to we want to have a discussion internally within the community, and of course we didn't get to cover everything, but I think it's important to first delve into those those topics that we talk about amongst ourselves within the barbershop or within our family reunions, whatever we talk to on the phone, text messages in our chat groups, and um, I hope you guys really enjoyed this discussion. I really did. I want to thank um, both. Uh, Isaiah and Jonathan, um, the attorneys um, who operate in civil rights and civil litigation. Um, I want to thank Christopher Lusant for FTAC training. If you guys um, are interested in training for guns or anything like that, he's he's great for um, getting your, uh, I guess your your uh, what is it your uh, um. Concealed. So I do concealed weapons concealed. license and marksmanship training and right. tactical stuff. Okay. I'm trying to figure out the marksmanship. I couldn't remember the marksmanship um, training part. Yeah. So, uh, how can they reach you? Where Chris? are you based, Chris? So I have my own private outdoor gun range in Deltona, Deltona Orange City area. So I'm out there. So I do I do okay. classes. You know, I I do youth classes, family classes. I teach business owners. Um, you know, anyone, you know, civilians, I train law enforcement to de-escalating and things of that nature. So how can they get in touch with you? Um, so my site is, um, ftactraining.com. Um, I just made some changes, so it should be live in the next day or two. That's F is um, in Frank, T is in Tom, A is in Anthony, C is in Charles. Training.com. Um, yeah. my contact number is 407-364-0483. And then um, I can be found on Facebook as well, FTAC, FTAC Security Solutions, and you'll be able to find me. I'm the only one. Yep. Perfect. Man. You have that range just like the uh, John Wick range, you know, where you practice out there like that? We could do that. We run that. We could do that. <laughs> <laughs> we can definitely do that. It's a lot of funny. Yo, got- man, I just want to say, um, and I know Kamara can can x all of this extra verbiage out. No, it's but dope. my family did. We went we went to the range. Uh, and this is what I'm talking about my full family uh, as part of a family reunion, and it was kind of hilarious to uh, all us black people walking in these purple shirts with Mardi Gras theme. The white dude was like, "What are you here for?" We we're like to shoot some guns, <laughs> uh, and it was mainly women. And so, Chris, I'm just gonna put it out there in the atmosphere. Maybe talk to some of these family reunions. Definitely. Uh, it would be a good time. My wife was like, I'm not into guns. And then by the end of it, she was like, yeah, I was really feeling this one. Yes. Uh, you know, maybe we should come and do this again. So she, she's holding the phone right now. She was like, oh, he trains people? So, yes. yeah, bro. So ahead. I do, like, uh, family sessions. I've had families come by. <clears throat> I've had some people that were going to get married, and they decided to just book everyone to come out on the range. That's dope. 
and uh, they all had a great time shooting different guns. You know, everyone's learning. You know, everyone's taking photos and videos, and, and we're all educating each other. It's great. So it's good to see that um, that we're out there. I'm gonna do a pod just on blacks and guns, man, because there's a whole thing I want to yes. talk yes. about. That. Yes, yes. Like, Let me know. You know, yeah. I'm. I'm, I'm you, I, I already, you already know. I already, already know. <laughs> um, so, y'all, I want to thank y'all so much. John, please get home safe, you know. Yes, and, John, you and the family get home safe, brother. You know, and, uh, you know, traveling Thank through y'all. Alabama. And because I said get home safe, I'm going to end it the way I started it with Dom Kennedy. Please make it home safe. 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 Yeah.